really the primary focus of our morning's message will be prayer. Uh, The spiritual air that we breathe as believers in Jesus Christ. But my aim this morning is not to guilt you into praying more frequently than we all do because all of us struggle, I think, to pray consistently. But really to help us see how the power of prayer actually strengthens God's will and God's work in our lives. You see, we mustn't pray because we have to, even though the Lord commands us in Scripture to pray. We pray because the power of God's Spirit is at work in our lives using our humble posture to accomplish His will. Maybe you've struggled to know God's will or feel as if you're doing it uh, as consistently as you want, and yet I believe doing God's will and prayer go hand in hand. Now the last time I preached back in January, I went over my time by six minutes. And I think I've been on probation ever since. So I just want you to know, heads up, that probably we're going to be shorter rather than longer because I don't mind preaching and maybe I'll be asked back if I keep it within the parameters. (laughs) Now my outline this morning is really going to be simple. In case you're wondering if it's a sophisticated 3.5 point, 8 points, it's just 2 points. Heavenly minded prayer and earthly-minded petitions. Those are the two categories that we're going to look at from Colossians 4. Heavenly-minded prayer and earthly-minded petitions. And our text this morning will be Colossians 4, verses 1-6. through So if you might turn there with me. Paul says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a Master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may be opened to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There'll be multiple subpoints, but the two general headings are heavenly-minded prayer and earthly-minded petitions. And I think the reason that we all struggle to pray continually is because prayer is a spiritual discipline that actually originates and begins in heaven. And we are earthly creatures consumed by the things of this world, preoccupied with earthly priorities. In fact, at times, I think too often we view prayer as a necessary duty rather than a spiritual delight. And I wish you could be part of our prayer time before service, 9 a.m. in room 100. You'll see that that our prayers are spiritual delights as we praise and thank the Lord. And Paul's going to touch on that here in this passage. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would finish this message with a good news perspective on prayer. When Jesus taught His disciples to pray, He began with these words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Well, here in Colossians chapter 1 or 4, verse 1, Paul reminds earthly masters that they too have a master in heaven. Being a responsible boss has a divine mandate, and that is a mandate that comes down from our Father in heaven. Work heartily as for the Lord, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. 
And though we function as earthly creatures and all of our days are lived out in this world, we really must go vertical before we're going to be effective at going horizontal. And I think too often we go horizontal before we ever think about the fact that we need to go vertical. And then when a problem comes up or a a trial or a stress takes place, all of a sudden, we need to pray. Uh, We were pastoring in upstate New York in 2001 when uh, 9-11 hit. And maybe like you all experienced here in the church that I was pastoring there, which was only a couple of hours from New York City, um, after the the bombings and all of the tragic events uh, took place, we saw a groundswell of people come to church. Maybe you did here. For probably about six weeks, people got serious with God. They got serious about prayer. They got serious about their spiritual lives until things began to kind of settle down and life began to go back to normal. And then the families began to stop coming. At least the new ones that came in those emergency situations. If we go back to chapter 3 and verse 2 for just a moment. Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And he's not writing this in the middle of a crisis situation. He's saying this should be the normal way that we conduct our lives in this world. He goes on to say, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. But if you have been raised with Christ, then think things heavenly. We read that all throughout the Scriptures. We're urged to think heavenly and to apply our heavenly thinking to our earthly good. Do not be distracted by the things of this world, but focus on the things above. Have a heavenly-minded perspective while living on earth as citizens of heaven, Philippians 3, verse 20 tells us. Now, the book of Colossians is a book that's really written all about Jesus Christ. He's central to this book. This short epistle is to redirect our focus to Christ, who now sits at the Father's right hand. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 34 tells us that Jesus is now interceding for us as we pray in His name. And the goal, says Paul, is to present every saint mature in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 28, for Christian maturity is developed by setting our minds on things above and being satisfied with things eternal more than things natural. For you, for me, we struggle with that. We're involved in a natural world. We're involved in earthly means. We have jobs to do and we have families to raise. And our world pretty much is here in this life. And we don't often think as we should about the heavenly. What Paul is going to help us to see is that we must think about the heavenly if the power of God is going to be present in our life through prayer. You know, I think we think a a similar struggle exists when witnessing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that we are His witnesses. But too often, I think we think about witnessing as an activity, something that we do. Well, I'm going to go witnessing today. Or I went witnessing on the beach. Or I spoke to a couple of co-workers and and did a good deed in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord tells us in Acts chapter 1 that we are His witnesses. It isn't that we go witness. We are witnesses. The real question is, how good of a witness are we? How effective is the witness that we possess in Jesus? 
And Paul is going to ask prayer here in Colossians chapter 4 how to be a more efficient, effective witness for Jesus Christ. And we'll get there in a few moments. But right now, we are being reminded that if we're going to be effective at all, our spiritual lives must begin with the vertical before we can go horizontal. Now perhaps the one scene where Jesus passionately pleads with His disciples to watch and pray is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus wrestles with the cup of wrath about to be poured out on Him on Calvary's cross. Uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22 are three of the synoptic Gospels that describe this scene. And if there was ever a time when the man Christ Jesus needed God's power, it was here in the garden. And if there was ever a time when the disciples needed God's power, it was here in the garden. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus was very sorrowful and troubled. Mark uses the word distressed. Luke tells us that Jesus was so agonized that His sweat became like drops of blood. As I wrestled through this message this morning and just prayed that the Lord might be able to use the Word to help us to come to understand and appreciate prayer, I actually was sweating earlier this morning. I came back to bed. My wife said, where, where were you? And I said, I was out there sweating. Uh, sweating? What, what for? I said, because I think we're all wrestling with this issue of prayer. And in prayer, we wrestle as Jesus wrestled. Not with the intensity that He wrestled, but we all wrestle to know God's will and to do God's will. And it comes through the power of prayer. All three synoptic Gospels tell us that Jesus asked the Father to remove the cup. His flesh did not want that brutal experience. And I think the, spirit, the garden uh, there where Jesus prayed was spiritual warfare at its most intense moment. Jesus agonized over the suffering He would experience on the cross. And yet, what was the Lord's reply to the Father? In the Spirit, He said, nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. His number one priority was to be submissive to the Father and to do His will. And repeatedly in the Gospels, we see that Jesus was submitted to the Father wanting and seeking to do His will. I wonder if that's the first thing we think about in the morning when we wake up. God, I want to do Your will today. I want to be submissive to You. I want to hear from Your Word so that I might walk in it this day as I live for Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who, does, who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. He's saying that a true believer is somebody that loves the Lord sufficient enough to want to do His will. Now, as we learn from the Gospel of John, and we've been studying that Gospel now for quite some time, Jesus is full of grace and truth. And while the Lord was grieved that His disciples were sleeping during His encounter with the Father, Jesus understood the weakness of the flesh, and He understands yours as well. He said to the disciples, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. Contemplate that for just a minute. I don't think He went back to the disciples to actually rebuke the disciples. I think He went to the disciples and laid on them love and compassion. He understood the disciples' weakness, and yet He urged them to watch and pray knowing that likely it wouldn't happen because of the weakness of the flesh. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, three times prayed that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. 
And Jesus knew that the thorn in the flesh for Paul would keep him humble, so he doesn't say, okay, we'll take it away, Paul. He says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Weakness. The Lord knows we're human. The Lord knows we're weak. The Lord knows that we're sinners. We're saints because of what He did, but in our bodily composure, we're still sinners who need the strength of the Lord. And prayer is that which gives us the power of God. Prayer looks to heaven asking God the Father to give us what we need so that we can live life for Him on a daily basis in this world. If the disciples would have just watched and prayed, they would have seen that through prayer, Jesus emerged victorious in overcoming His flesh to do God's will. And that's what we need to be victorious in doing God's will as well. We need to come to the Father in prayer. And prayer doesn't necessarily mean that we have to close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're driving to work in the morning, I pray you don't do that. But you can still talk to God. You can still ask Him for the grace that you need to endure the day. You can still ask Him to give you opportunities to be able to share the love of Jesus with a coworker or friend. There are lots of things that we can talk to God about on our way to work or where we might go. In the midst of the most horrific of circumstances, Jesus overcame all temptations by praying to the Father for the strength to do His will. For the strength to go to the cross and die for the sins of sinners. To become the substitutionary sacrifice that you and I needed in order to have relationship with God. You know, sometimes we just think praying a prayer or Going through some transaction is what saves us. No, God saves us through Jesus Christ when we follow Him in faith and by faith alone. But He saves us so that we might bring glory to His name. That we might be effective witnesses in the world that He's called us to live in. And Jesus Christ poured out His heart to the Father because in His flesh, He would have liked to have bypassed the cross. But He knew what the cross meant to all of us as He would save us by His grace by dying on that cross for our sin. If the disciples would just have stayed awake and watched, they would have seen Jesus' prayer shipped from His own comfort and relief to fulfilling the Father's will for Him to go to Calvary. The lesson that Jesus was teaching His disciples, and I believe is teaching us as well, is to observe that He prayed to the Father so that He might have the power of the Spirit to remain humble and do the Father's will. We talk about humility all the time, but I think the greatest evidence of humility is prayer. It's when we go to God and say, God, I I can't do this. I don't have the power within me to carry out Your will. I think the disciples missed an opportunity for Jesus to teach them there because their flesh was weak. But Jesus would come back time and again to help the disciples see exactly what He would accomplish for them in going to the cross to die. And I think at times we miss opportunities that the Lord would have for us simply because we do not connect with our Heavenly Father first before we seek to do the work that He's called us to do here on earth. We're sort of like self-sufficient Americans. We think that we can do it. We listen to the commercials more than we listen to Jesus. You know, you probably have seen the Nike commercial a hundred thousand times, which says what? Just do it. And we think we can. And this text is reminding us that we can't. We need God the Father to energize us through the work of His Son and the presence of His Spirit. And that comes to us on a daily basis through prayer. Romans 8, verse 26. I love this. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now lots of people have said, oh, that's the gift of tongues. No, 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 no. That's the Holy Spirit interceding for us, praying. Why? Because we don't always know how to pray or what to pray. In fact, if you wait until the end of the day before you pray, what usually overtakes you before you finish? Sleep. Just like the disciples. Our flesh is also weak. And at times, we don't even have the words. And that's why Paul will urge us to pray for even words that he would need in order to be an effective witness in this world. In fact, in Luke 45, verse uh, chapter in, in, Luke, in verse 45 of chapter 22 in the Gospel of Luke, we're reminded there of a, a sorrowful situation. Um, and the disciples, it's recorded in Scripture, and the disciples were probably sleeping because of that situation. I don't know about you, but there are sad times in all of our lives. There's trials, there's troubles, there are difficulties. Uh, over the years as a pastor, I've met with lots of different people whose remedy to handle those difficult situations is to go to bed and sleep. Just to sleep. Or go on the couch and sleep. Uh, maybe they've been a little bit depressed or downcast. Uh, David tells us in Psalm 42 that we're to put our hope in God at those times, but too often we don't, and we just kind of crawl up in a ball and, and we sleep. The disciples are very much like we are. Their struggles were very much like our struggles are today. And Jesus is wanting them to understand that sleeping is not the answer to those problems. Doing God's will comes to us when we look to Him and ask Him to energize us in the power of the Spirit. And that comes through prayer. We must humble ourselves and admit our need as weak Christians and petition the Father for the power that He would give to accomplish His will in our lives. Too often over the years, different people would come and they would say, Pastor, I, I'm looking to know God's will for who I should marry or what school I should go to or where we should live or even what church to attend. And... My wife has taught me this, but one of the first questions that you should ask them is, have you prayed? Have you prayed? Because I think oftentimes we want solutions, but we don't want to go to the Lord and ask Him. We want other people in our world to help us figure it out. By the way, beloved, prayer is not the time we ask God to fulfill our wills. It's the time of humble earthly petition for God through His Spirit to do His will. 1 John 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. But how many of our prayers are focused on us? How many of our prayers really have to do with our world around us and what we think we need rather than asking the Lord to give us what He knows we need? So in our text, if we return to Colossians chapter 4, we see two words that Paul uses in verse 2 to guide our thinking as we pray. Notice those two words, watchful and thankful. The word watchful is actually another derivative of the same word that Jesus used with His disciples when He said, watch and pray. The New American Standard uses the phrase keeping alert. Uh, Satan wants to do everything and anything he can to hinder the purposes of God and we must be on guard for the enemy's attack. See, prayer is not just some formality where we go to the Lord and ask Him for the things that He would like us to pray for. Prayer is actually engaging in spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. It's the reason that I had um, the Ephesians passage read to us this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is really asking for the same things from that church as he asks for here, but there he 
precedes all of that with the reminder that we are engaged in spiritual battle. There's a warfare going on and we need to be sure that the armor is in place if we're going to be able to withstand the enemy's attacks. So he says, be watchful. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul warns the Ephesian elders to be on the alert. He knows that once he leaves the area, predators will come in and seek to destroy the flock. The devil wants to discredit and disqualify your service to Christ, and he wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to keep you from praying, so we're told here to keep watch in advance. Church, we pray to the Father through the Son, Jesus, because the work that we are doing has an enemy. Actually, three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All three of those are working against us doing God's will. We might not think of it that way, but we really need to because our flesh is weak, the world is secular, and the devil is going to use those two tools in whatever way he can to lead us astray, to take us off track, to to have us drop our guard. Now, as we're going to see here for the remainder of our time, one very important aspect of God's will for our lives is the role we play as Christ's representatives on earth. The work that we do as witnesses for Jesus Christ. And in Colossians 4, this becomes Paul's focus for why he asks the church to pray. The power that we need to receive will come to us because we are witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We could do everything else perfectly in heaven. We could have the best worship services, and we will. We could have the greatest times of fellowship with one another, and we will. We're going to know as as Jesus knows everything. We're going to have our minds enlightened and illumined to the truths that right now we struggle to comprehend. All of that is going to be satisfied when we go to glory. But the one thing that won't happen in heaven and must happen on earth is that we witness to the fellow unbelievers that are in our midst that some might come to faith in Jesus Christ. But the second word that Paul uses in verse 2 to describe our prayer life is thanksgiving. And when you read the Word of God, you're going to quickly notice that thanksgiving is the normal, natural, spiritual disposition of every true saint. Giving thanks is everywhere among God's people. Read through the Psalms. And thanksgiving, the word thanks or giving thanks or thanksgiving is everywhere. In fact, I don't believe you can call yourself a Christian and not be thankful. And one of Satan's weapons is to destroy your attitude of gratitude. Because you've truly received the grace of God in salvation and because of that wonderful gift, because of what Christ has done for you, because of the rescue that you have been delivered from, the rescue from the wrath of God, you ought to be thankful. Yay, Lord! Thank You, Lord! In fact, for the last 10 or 12 years, I've been listening to the prayers of the saints. And one of the things that I've noticed which is wonderful is that most of you begin your prayers with, thank You, Lord. Or you're thankful for something. Fill in the blank of which you, which, that which you are thankful for. And Paul simply says here that thanksgiving ought to be a part of every prayer. And if it isn't, and you go vertical first before you go horizontal, how can we not give thanks to the Father for what He has done for us in this world? When I was a young boy, excuse me, I nearly drowned in a lake because I couldn't swim. I still can't swim. In fact, when I was pastoring and I would do baptisms, I I had to wear um, life preservers just to make sure I would be okay. No, no, just kidding. (laughs) But there were some big guys that I had to baptize that I swear when I brought them down and took them back out, it was over for me. Life was just beginning for them, but for me, 
I had a hard time even getting them out of the water. But my uncle was the one who reached down and he saved my life. And I was thankful and grateful to my uncle. My uncle wasn't a believer. Uh, in fact, he was a, an avowed atheist. But nevertheless, because of what he did in saving me on that summer day, I was always grateful to him. I always expressed my gratitude. How much more should not, we not be thankful to the Lord for what He's done for us in saving us from our sin and from the wrath of God that will be poured out on all those who do not believe? Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, then you have an attitude of gratitude. And that attitude will be enhanced when we go to the Lord in prayer. Because we begin so many prayers, or at least somewhere in the middle of those prayers, we're expressing our thanks to God. And Paul is simply saying that these two words need to be an important part of our going heavenly before we go earthly. Be on the alert and have a heart filled with thanksgiving. God, I pray to You because I'm totally dependent on You for everything and grateful that You are sovereign over it all. Thank You for helping me watch for the enemy who seeks to hinder my work for You. And it's God who does that. Thank You for enabling me to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to serve Your Son, Jesus Christ. Walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But part of that spiritual walk means we need to go vertical before we go horizontal. Remember Philippians 4.6? Probably many of you have memorized it. I rehearsed it this morning a few times myself when I was just agonizing over this message in prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and what? Supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. It's really unnatural for a Christian to not be thankful. Now let's go back here to Colossians 4 because I want to give you Three things here that Paul gives are three requests that he makes for himself and for his fellow companions that I believe are applicable for us today because we're his witnesses and we're still we're doing the work that Paul was doing here we're going to the highways and byways and calling people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and we need these three attributes as well so we'll look at these earthly-minded petitions. And the first thing that Paul asks prayer for is an open door. An open door. He says in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. Uh, please notice that when Paul asks the Lord for uh, some things, he doesn't begin with a lot of personal physical requests. Uh, not that they're not important. It certainly is important that we pray for safe travels and Rob and Josh and families are overseas and we want to pray for their safety. Or we might ask the Lord for better health as some might be struggling with just different issues, cancer, etc. Uh, maybe we pray for necessary food because right now the money doesn't make it till the end of the month or roof over our heads so that we would have a place to be able to live. Those things are appropriately things we can pray for, but Paul makes the spiritual the priority over the physical. And here, Paul is most concerned about the spread of the Gospel. He's willing to be content in whatever the circumstances so that God's will might be done through him in spreading the Gospel to all kinds of people groups. I remember flying to Dallas and sitting to a, uh, right beside a young lady who asked me why I was reading the Bible. And I thought, great. You know, sometimes you wonder if you can have a conversation with somebody in a very close 
circumstance and I was praying that I might be able to share truth in some way. And yet I didn't take the initiative. She took the initiative. She saw me reading the Bible and she asks me, why am I reading the Bible? But then she said this, what's in that old book that could be relevant for today? Wow! Thank you for asking that question. I spent the entire flight witnessing to her, sharing truth from her. What I didn't know at the time is that I have a pretty strong voice. And my voice wasn't just heard by her. It was heard by people in two or three rows from her. So when we got to Dallas and we started getting off the plane, I got these weird looks from people all around. Some of them were positive. Yeah, way to go. And others were really like angry. You should never have talked to her. You're going to ruin her life. You hypocrite, you bigot, you whatever. They threw terms at me. So there was a battle going on right there. And I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking of sharing with this young lady um, the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that she might believe and receive the Lord. And, and lo and behold, I didn't realize I was also witnessing to about six to nine other people around me. So praise the Lord. I'm sure I'll hear the, the fruit of that labor when I get to glory. But I'm glad that I had the opportunity. It was an open door. And she opened the door. And I wonder at times when we're engaged in conversation with people and they ask certain questions of us if we're really ready to be able to respond with the truth. Or do we just talk about the weather or sports or you know, some of the other earthly things that aren't nearly as significant as the Gospel? Well, here in Colossians 4, verse 3, Paul's request for open doors isn't just for himself, but for all whom God will use to evangelize the lost. Would you notice that in verses 7 and following, there is a list of people that will be sent out. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, some of the men that Paul will be sending into the fields white unto harvest. And so he asks this church to pray on their behalf. But you know what? Since all of us are witnesses, he's really asking this prayer for us as well. And you can pray this prayer for one another. We, we need to pray for open doors that God would use you in the work area that He has you, that God would use you in the community that He's placed you, that God would use you even as an encouragement here. There may be people here who have come in here this morning, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I was one of those church attenders for many years that was lost. I didn't know Jesus. I was religious. I went through the services. I sang some hymns and I listened to prayers and I heard messages but in the church that I grew up in, most of those messages were not centered on the Gospel. I was lost. And, and there may be people whose experience is similar to mine who have come in here this morning who needs to know that first and foremost, the Bible says we're sinners. That was my biggest hang-up. I wasn't a sinner. I wasn't a perfect person. But I wasn't a sinner. Let me, I'll take you where the sinners live. Come, follow me, and I'll show you where the sinners live. But I didn't take them to my home because I didn't think that I was a sinner who needed a Savior. And when I finally agreed with God from His Word that I was one of the sinners that Jesus died to forgive, then I was on the path to being able to understand what He did for me on Calvary's cross. Paul is praying here for open doors. It's a common biblical phrase that refers to a positive opportunity for sharing the Gospel. Uh, Paul is asking this church to pray for fruit-bearing opportunities. Lord, give us people who have ears to hear. And I know that you pray that as well. You want your life to count in an evangelistic way for the Lord. You want to be able to share what God has done for you. Well, pray. Don't just talk to another brother or sister about it, but ask the Lord to give you 
open doors. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8, 9, Paul writes, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So he knows that there's going to be a spiritual battle, but he still knows that God is in control, God is sovereign, God has called him to this city, and he's to share the truth with people who have ears to hear, who will hear the gospel and believe and be saved. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18, Paul knew that he had Satan as an enemy because he wrote there, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Again, you need to know that in your life lived in this world, the enemy hates everything God stands for, and that includes your walk of faith with Jesus and He's going to do whatever He can to distract you and attack you and and take you off course from doing the Lord's will in this world. And we really need to be aware that evangelism isn't some kind of programmed presentation. While it's helpful to go to a class and maybe learn how to share the Gospel, when you start sharing the Gospel, you are going to come under attack. Maybe you have family members that are not saved. I did. I do. And uh, it isn't always easy to share Christ with people who do not want to hear. And then there is the timing, and maybe you don't share because you realize they're not listening. The Spirit is not at work in their life. And, And so you try to use discernment as you share the Gospel with people who need to hear. Paul says, pray for open doors. Um, In 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul speaks about a door that opened in Troas. In Acts 14.27, God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles in Antioch. In Acts 16.9, after several doors had been shut, God directed Paul to go and preach to the Macedonians because there was an open door there. Uh, You can read it over and over again where God opens doors and sometimes closes doors and you need to be discerning to know what might be happening. Just because you've been praying for a hardened relative or friend for a very long time with little response doesn't mean you give up. I think maybe some of you heard the story of my dad. My dad died a couple of years back, uh, had a heart attack in August and died in September. And during the time that he was in the hospital and rehab, um, a nurse shared the Gospel with my dad. When we finally flew from Oregon to see my dad about five days before he died, one of the first things he said out of his lips is, I'm going to be with Jesus soon. And I thought, whoa, where'd that come from? So as we talked to my dad, he told me about the nurse that told him what we've been trying to tell him for years. And I said, Dad, why did she succeed And we not. Is she more prettier than me or what? I mean, but he he heard the same message that he's heard for years, but God finally opened up his mind to understand the Scriptures and he responded. Whereas my mom who died a few months later, she went out shaking her fist at God. Uh, And so you just never know um, and never assume that just because a family member has said no, 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 get out of my life. Don't preach to me. I don't want to hear it anymore. You keep praying and believing that God may reach them with His Gospel. And He may not use you. Jesus had a hard time even ministering to His own family. But other people can and will in God's sovereign plan. Secondly, Pray for clear communication. Clear communication. Look with me at verse 4. That I may make it clear. That I may make it clear. Paul was in prison on account of preaching the Gospel. He was declaring the mystery of Christ that God was now saving both Jew and Gentile. We're here largely this morning because God's saving Gentiles. 
But I've had some friends over the years that I've been able to witness to who are Jewish. We actually have a neighbor across the street from us who's Jewish. And we pray that God will give them ears to hear the truth of the Gospel and be saved. But we pray for clear communication. And the word clear here means understandable. You could also translate this word with our English word coherent. He's not really talking about being clear in speaking, just articulating. I think Paul was a very good preacher. He writes so well, I can't believe that he didn't speak well as well. But here he's asking prayer that he would be understood by the audience that he's communicating with. Maybe that would be the best way to put it. You and I are going to speak to different audiences. We have a children's ministry that takes place here on Sunday. And there are children's Bibles and children's materials that help articulate the truth of the Word of God to them in ways that they can understand. And yet you're not going to give a children's Bible to somebody who might be 40 or 45 with an education that has trained them well in understanding the English language, but it, you might have to help them understand some of the lingo and language that's used in Scripture. The word predestination, for example. A lot of people misunderstand what that means or don't want to believe what it means and they just kind of write it off because it's a five-syllable word. Think of other five-syllable words that maybe we might use. Uh, propitiation would be another one. Do you even know what that word means? That Jesus took the wrath of God upon Himself, a wrath that you and I deserved in order to be the substitutionary sacrifice that we deserve to receive the wrath of God for us. Or maybe substitutionary atonement. That's again another concept that maybe some people struggle. So what Paul is saying is, listen, don't be using words or language that people don't understand. Speak to them in ways that are understood. And maybe you have to take some time and explain what these biblical terms mean so that they might understand. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Paul writes some things what? Hard to understand. And I think what Paul is asking prayer for here is that he would make understandable the things that he writes that are hard to understand. And then third, pray that we have the courage or boldness to speak. Look again at verse 4, which is how I ought to speak. The reason I want to highlight this word is because it's an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word laleo. Say it with me. Laleo. What do you have to use to say that word? Your tongue. Thank you. Laleo. What Paul is simply saying is that it is not enough for your godly life to shine brightly for Jesus Christ. You also need to speak. Too many times I think people think that if I just live godly and, and my life permeates the arena that we're in, people will come to know Jesus Christ and they'll respond. Listen, we see here from verses 5 and 6 that a godly life is absolutely necessary, but you and I also need to speak. Laleo. Use your tongue. Al Mohler has written an entire book on this subject and it's entitled, We Cannot Be Silent. Um, if you want to read a really good book that's easy to read but challenging, read his book. It will just encourage you to use words when you're communicating the Gospel to people. Twice in this passage, Paul uses the word speak to describe a verbal exchange to communicate truth. In fact, he uses the noun form to speak in verse 6 where speech refers to specific words that we use. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Don't be hard. 
Be soft in the way that you communicate. Just because somebody rejects the Gospel doesn't mean that you fight and you argue with them. I was guilty of that as an early believer. I wouldn't want to argue and fight. Um, We're trying to build relationships with an aunt that had nothing to do with our family for years. But now that my mother has passed away, she's willing to re-engage. But, but I was so zealous as a young believer that I would kind of get in her face and, and I would argue with her concerning the Gospel. And, and not only was that not successful, but she turned from being, quote, a Protestant to a Roman Catholic. So I really drove her away. That wasn't my intent. And now I'm trying to rebuild that relationship with the love of Jesus Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Um, The Bible is clear that we are to speak, but we're to speak the truth in love. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 18, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Yes, Paul lived a godly life, but he also spoke the truth in love. So when you meet and greet people that you may not know, um, do you see them as an open door for the Word and pray for an opportunity to share Christ in a spontaneous way? Paul is asking for prayer for he and his companions that we wouldn't forget the priority of being a witness for Jesus and that we would be intentional about seeking to speak for the Lord. Beloved, I still live in an unredeemed tent. My outer man, the Bible says, is what? Decaying. But the inner man is being renewed. And when I pray, I'm asking God to strengthen my inner man, preserve my outer man, but one of these days, my outer man is going to leave this world. And, um, and, and yet one day, my outer man will also be resurrected and I'll receive new bodies. How many would like a new body? Any takers for that? Good, we'll we'll schedule some appointments here. We'll talk about that. Um, The only way that we're going to be effective as believers is first to go vertical, heavenly-minded, and then bring our earthly-minded petitions before the Lord who rules over all. So I have just a couple of quick final application points from our text this morning, and maybe you could jot them down. One, pray for open doors. As you pray, pray the Lord gives you opportunities to share the Gospel. Secondly, pray for clarity in presenting the truth of God's Word. And and that clarity may need multiple times. Maybe there's somebody you're meeting with on a regular basis And maybe you didn't get the, aha, now I get it, until 5 or 6 or 10 or 12. It doesn't always happen the first time. Pray for boldness while speaking the truth in love. Uh, You want the, the Lord to give you the courage to be able to speak for Him at the opportunity He brings your way when He brings it. And pray for protection when proclaiming Christ. Because the evil one is going to do everything that he can to hinder your witness for Jesus. And then pray that your earthly petitions would be motivated by a heavenly-minded perspective on life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for our morning together in Your Word. Thank You for the Apostle Paul's exhortation to us to pray to be heavenly-minded when we pray. First and foremost, Lord, to go vertical before we go horizontal with so many of our petitions. But Lord, as Paul centers his message here in Colossians 4 on witnessing to the lost, I pray too that as we witness in the world in which we live, that You would give us open doors, that You would give us clarity, that You would give us boldness as we speak the truth, that You would protect us from the enemy who would seek to harm us in some way. 
And Lord, that we would be able to rejoice in the end knowing that Your will was accomplished through us by the power of Jesus and His Spirit through prayer. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.